This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Sorry that I'm sitting, but um, had vertigo a few weeks ago. And since then, I'm, I'd like to sit, because if I stand and the room starts spinning, you're all going to get very nervous. So I apologize that I'm not standing. So thank you very much, Rabbi Yehuda. Um, he's a very, very close talmud of mine, and I'm very proud of all of my Talmudim that are that uh, that are in this shul and that are all over the world. They, but you know, they give me credit, but the coach doesn't get the credit. The players get the credit. You can coach all you want. If they don't get on the court, they just sit on the bench. But it's nice to have a eulogy when you're alive. So thank you, Yehuda. Appreciate it. I appreciate it. So we're going to talk about Hanukkah tonight. We're also going to talk about a very important subject. Um, happens to be that on my way here, it came up. There's a, there's a lot of bullying going on between between girls and uh, I mean by boys also, but by girls, girls it takes a um, it takes a very different turn. Um, the hurt is much deeper. Um, girls, at least that I've found in teaching them for the last fifteen years. Um, so there's two things in a teenage girl's life that's very important. Well, not only in a teenage girl's life, but in a woman's life. But specifically in a teenage girl's life, that's very important to them. And um, and that is friends. That's like number one. Boys, we have friends. We don't have friends. You don't like me. Who cares? I don't like you either. I don't need you to like me. As long as I can play basketball and I'm a good ball player, we don't, we don't care that much. Um, girls care very much about their social life and how they're treated. So when you have a, when you have high school girls and even elementary school girls, so there's two things that are very important in their life. Friends, number one. Number two, school. I don't have to tell you about guys in school. I mean, there's a lot of mothers in here and sisters in here. Well, school's important, but not, not until we're looking for a shidduch. You know, like uh, in high school, it's not that important. Good ball player, they like you in camp. The guys like you. You're one of the boys. One of the boys is very big. So, so bullying... This, this, girls not, in help, not inviting other girls, clicks, all the drama that goes on, is extremely painful. And I, I, you know, we, we I'm, I'm the guy that always believes in the why. You know, there's a, there's a lot of therapy that goes on in the world. There's a lot of people that are very busy with the what. But if you fix the what, you don't fix the why. What I'm saying is, kids are off the derech. This girl's skirt is short. Kids are are not going to school. Kids are doing drugs. That's the what. That that's the tumor. That's not the cancer. So you need to know the why. And I have to tell you that the girls that I'm dealing with, I have a ranch. I have a rehab. Depression, anxiety. A lot of the why is not the abuse that people think. A lot of the why is social bullying. It's so traumatizing that it can call a girl to go off the derrick. It can cause someone to be extremely anxious. It can cause it can cause someone to be extremely depressed. It can cause a girl not to go to school at all. Um, and it happens to be in this week's parasha. So it's just funny that it happened today on my way here that I got a phone call from a parent whose daughter has not been in school for the last two weeks because there's a girl in the school that... Um, that gone on, got on her WhatsApp in school, in a very firm school, got on her WhatsApp 
her class WhatsApp. I'm, you know, everyone who knows me knows I'm not into. The, I'm, I have a flip phone, so I'm not into that whole WhatsApp business. But got on her WhatsApp and said everyone in class should daven for a foolish lema for this girl. There's nothing. She's not sick. That she's mentally depressed, and everyone needs to daven for her. And the whole class is talking now about her that she's mentally depressed. She's not mentally depressed. She, I can't, she, so I said, if I go to the principal and I sit down with this girl and I straighten it out, would you go back to school? On the way here, this is a discussion on my phone call on the way here. And she said, I will never go back to school. My whole class thinks I'm mentally ill. Because this girl posted on WhatsApp that you should doubt, you should doubt for her. She needs to refuse Shalema. She destroyed her. So now I gotta go find a different school. So it, it happens to be, that it has a lot to do with this week's, and, and we'll get to Hanukkah, but it's just, I always believe that something that happens the day that I'm going to speak, specifically on the way that I'm going to speak, means Hashem wants me to talk about it. So, it's this week's Parsha, and Parsha's by Yeshev. And it's the story of Yosef HaTzadik. So, in Parsha's by Yeshev, Yosef HaTzadik was that girl was that boy. Now, I'm going to tell you before I say anything tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about the Shvatim. The Shvatim were perfect. It says that, that Yaakov Avinu was told by Hashem that if all your 12 children are perfect, then you will go straight to Gan Eden. And before he died, Yaakov Avinu said, my children are perfect. So, the, the, the things that the brothers did to Yosef, whatever it is, I'm, I'm, I'm saying a disclaimer before I go into it because there was shift they call. They, they, they knew how to do tchias So It's not simple to understand, but I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm just going to tell you what the Torah tells us, right? So, so, so you have this boy. He's 17 years old, teenager, 10th grader, 11th grader. That's what he was. The Torah tells us how old he was. He was 17 years old. The girl that I dealt with today was also 17 years old. So he's a very good boy. He cares about other people very, very much. To the point that he saw that his brothers from the, from the Shvachos, from, from Billa and Zilpa, were not being treated correctly by the other six brothers. So he came home to his father, right? He went to the principal, and he told his father, And he told his father, they're not, they're not treating the six brothers of Leah, the sons of Leah, are not treating the other ones correctly. Again, it's literal. I'm, I, I, I'm disclaiming because it's a little hard to understand. Yaakov had a favorite. This is what the Torah says. I can only translate what the Torah says. It says Yaakov had a favorite. Yisrael Ahav is Yosef Mikobanov. He bends the him low because he had him very, very, very late. You know that. He made him a son of They saw that their father loved him. He was the favorite. They hated him. And whilst he's just translating what it says. They couldn't talk to him. They couldn't say hello to him. They couldn't say, how you doing? They couldn't talk to him in peace. There was a real rivalry here. The, the, this is all extra words. I need to know if they could say hello. They couldn't say hello. For some reason, the Torah is telling us that they could not say hello. 
Okay. So he has a dream. And he tells his brothers that I have this dream and you all bow down to me in this dream. Now that's not going to make them love you. That's for sure. That you're telling your older brothers that your father... By the way, that's why they passed him to kill him. Because he said that the, the sun... The sun and the moon, the sun is Yaakov, the moon was Leah, because Rachel wasn't alive anymore. And the, and the 11 star, and the 11 stars were his brothers, bowed down to him. So, the brothers Paskin, that saying that Yaakov, who was the king, Yaakov was the father, bowed down to him, was Meirid Bamalchus, was a rebellion by Yosef, and therefore he was Chayv Misa. That's why they Paskin that they have to kill him, because he, because he said this dream. And then, if that wasn't enough, um, he told them there was a bunch of bushels, and they all bowed down to him. So they really, at this point, did not like him. And his brothers were jealous of him. They were they did not like him. And Yaakov realized this. And Yaakov said, I need to do something about this. My kids are not getting along. So what am I going to do? i got to get Yosef in their favor somehow. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to send him to his brothers on a mission of peace to ask his brothers how they're doing. One of the saddest psukim in the Torah and one of the saddest things with children and the reason we have so many children off the derech today. So he leaves and a malach finds him lost. ish was Gabriel he was lost. He didn't ask, he saw Yosef was lost, he didn't ask him, where are you going? He asked him, what do you want? The Malach knew where he was going. The Malach asked Yosef a different question totally. He said, you're going to talk to your brothers? What's your expectations? What do you want? Interesting for parents, it says that the Malach found him and, and he was lost. No, first you're lost and then you get found. It's in reverse. You don't find someone and he's lost. Then he's not lost anymore. He's lost and you find him. What the Pusik says here, he found him and he was lost. So, sometimes we have to spend time with our children who look like they're doing very well. And you find out when you spend time with them, you find out, you find out that they're lost. But you can't find that out unless you find him. So the Malach found him, and after talking to him, realized this kid's lost. So he asked Yosef HaTzadik, what do you want? He didn't ask him where you're going. So what's sad about the next Pasuk? What do I want? I want to be accepted. I want to be one of the brothers. This girl today, she just wants to be accepted. So many of our children just want to be accepted. The problem is that when a child feels he's not or she's not accepted in school by friends, not accepted at home, there is a place in this world that accepts everyone. And that's the street. In the street, they don't care if you're smart or stupid, how you're doing in school. They don't care if you're beautiful or not. They don't care who your parents are. When a kid hits the street, 
the group in the street, you are one of them. That's why gangs are so big in America. So children who are looking for acceptance, as Yosef was, if they don't find it in school and they don't find it at home, they will find it in a very bad place. So that's what Yosef said. You know what I want? I want to be one of the boys. Okay, he's excited. He's going to go. He's going to tell them, I'm here. How you doing? How the sheep doing? They're going to make peace. And he's going to be one of the boys. But that doesn't work. What happens? This is really my speech tonight. Vayiru oso mirachok. They saw him from afar. Ladies, the biggest mistake a person can make is when you judge another human being from afar. We all make decisions in the first nine or ten seconds that we meet someone. They're usually the wrong decisions. The brothers never let Yosef get close. They saw him from afar. Before he could get close, they judged him to kill him. They never let him come and say, why are you here? I'm here to make peace. I'm here to find out how you're doing. When you judge someone from afar, you might as well kill them. Wait. They're like, so who is he? Why is he coming? They already made a decision why he's coming. I had a person um, knocked on my door and um, in my office. He had a very long beard. And um, the girl, my secretary, saw it in the, in the, in the camera. And she said... Uh, Rabbi Wallace, he can't see anyone right now. He's very busy. Because she thought he was a collector. Meanwhile, he was my life insurance guy who I had, a, who I had an appointment with. And she, she didn't let him in. And he's like, till he said, I'm not a collector, I'm a life insurance guy. She didn't let him in. Because he had a long beard. She made a decision of who he was and what he was. I'll tell you a cute story. I, so I was in Eretz And I went around to speak in the seminaries. I went to this very religious seminary to speak. And uh, at that time, this is just a, this is a new beard. Rav Chaim told me I need to grow a beard, so that was that was in July. So I was clean shaven for sixty one years and a half. So I came with this guy Ezra Max, Rabbi Ezra Max, and he was driving. He drove me to the school to speak. It's a true story. So we come to the school, and they send this girl out to bring me in to speak. There's a clean shaven guy with a purple tie, and there's a guy with a long beard with like a black tie and a white shirt. So she says to Max, to Rabbi Max, please tell your driver, that's me, she thinks I'm the driver, please tell your driver that we only allow the speaker into the seminary. He's going to have to wait outside. So I turned to Max and I said, I hope you're prepared. (laughs) Beard, no beard. Judgment, right away. Right, judgment right away. What's your your name? Devorah what? Devorah White? Weiss. Devorah Weiss. Why am I picking on you? You're sitting in the front seat. Never sit in the front seat. What bracha do you make on this? Okay. If I make, if I want to make a shahakal just so you should answer a main, but I'm not thirsty, do I make a shahakal? No, you know that halacha? So that's a halacha. How do you know that? 
let's say, wow, look how many women are here. Let's, let's do an Amen party right now. Let's all do an Amen party, right? Right? Well, going to make a bracha, and you're all going to answer Amen. Not allowed to. So, so you're going to ask me, so then how do you make a bracha party? You don't really, right? Because you, you're, you're going to eat that food. So how do you know that? Because when you take a pill, you don't make a bracha on the water to take the pill, if that's the only reason, right? Okay. So, shahakal. But if I make a shahakal just to, right? Okay. Does everyone agree you make a shahakal? Okay. So, you're all wrong. At Wallstein, never, ever make a shahakal on this. Could you come up here for a second? You're, you're in the front row. It's your fault. I didn't put you there. Do me a favor. Smell this and tell everyone what it is. No, it's not vodka. It's definitely not vodka. Because vodka, you'd make a shahakal, so it wouldn't be a good... A bottle of vinegar. You don't make a bracha on this bottle. I just fooled 50 women. Growing up, smart people, professors, therapists, girls in college. So easy to fool you. All of you. Why? How did I fool you? It has a label. It says Poland Spring. You judged what's in the bottle by the label. Didn't you ever hear the saying, don't judge a book by its cover? So I did this in seminary today. Of course, they also got it all wrong. But if I took this Poland Spring label off, and there was no label, and I asked you what bracha, some women would be like, what's in the bottle, Rabbi? Never judge by a label. You're usually wrong. Open the bottle, smell the water, taste the water. Don't just drink it down because you don't really know what's in there. Of course, this is Rabbi Wallstein doing this. And I have to tell you that I did this eight years ago in the Agurta Convention. I brought it home. And the next day I did it somewhere else. And I put it in my fridge and I totally forgot. True story, true story. And I got, and I drank it back and I could not catch my breath for like, for like two and a half minutes. It's pure vinegar. And I, I, what? No, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I, I don't trust you. I don't know what you're going to bring me. What's going to say on the bottle? Do you see how easy it is to fool you? So there's a girl that has two earrings, so she's modern. And this one has that, so that. And we make all these judgment calls. So easy to fool people by judging from the outside. So the brothers were fooled. So you know what they said when they saw Yosef coming? This is what they said. They said one to another, He's coming to tell us another another dream. Why else would he come? He's a dreamer. Hello, he's coming to make peace. He's coming to find out how you're doing. No, 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 no. We're making a judgment call. Him? He's a dreamer. This is this is this week's Pasha. Wait, we're not done. Okay. And they said, and now we're going to see what happens with dreams. Because in his dream, he said they're going to bow down to him. He's going to be a king. Now they're going to kill him, so his dreams don't come true. Ha ha, we'll see what your dreams happen. All right. Let's go further. The brothers come down to, to uh, Mitzrayim, right? Pashat Mikates. And what happens? They see him. He sees them, they see him, but they don't they don't recognize him. I want to read to you from inside. 
Pasuk Zayin, Perak Membez. Vayar Yosef as Echav, Yosef saw his brothers. Vayakirem, they got a little older, their beards had a little white in it. He, he recognized them. Next Pasuk, next Pasuk, one Pasuk later. Vayaka Yosef as Echav, again, Yosef recognized his brothers. Vahem Lohikiruhu, but they didn't recognize him. How could they not recognize him? So the Chidah says that Yosef looked exactly like Yaakov. They were both Kilgulim of Adam, whatever it is, they looked exactly alike. When Yosef left, he was only 17. He was clean shaven. Yaakov had a beard. So they didn't look exactly alike. One had a beard, one didn't, so they don't look exactly alike. But now, it's 22 years later... So Yosef also has a beard. So when they came down to Mitzrayim, they were actually looking at their father's face. They looked exactly alike. And they both had a beard. Okay, one's white, one's black. That doesn't change your face. So why didn't they right away say, Yosef, it's you. Help us, we're starving. Says the Pasuk, He recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. So the Medrash says why. They knew he wasn't dead. They sold him to Mitzrayim. They didn't kill him. They sold him to Mitzrayim. He was very pretty. Now, the reason I'm using not handsome but pretty is that Tyra calls him Yefas Mare. The only other... There's no other man called Yefas Mare. He was called a little bit like that. I don't know his exact Russian by David Amalek, but not Yefas Mare. He was called Yefas Mare because he looked exactly... Because Rachli Menu was beautiful. He was... Beautiful, not handsome. Now, a very deep shot. Why he was? Be- why was he so beautiful? Because Leah, this Ochida, Kabbalah, Leah was pregnant with Yosef. Rachel was pregnant with Dina. Leah daven to Hashem that if I have another boy that gives me seven boys, the Shvachos have two and two is four is eleven. There's only going to be 12 of us. That means that Rachel's going to have one boy. She's not even going to have as much as the maidservants. That's an embarrassment. So while she was pregnant with Leah, the only woman that after 40 days was able to change the sex of the baby, she davened that this boy that I'm carrying, who was Yosef, should change. With the Rachel was carrying a girl, she was carrying a boy, should flip, should switch. But Kachoya, Rashi says that. She davened at her sister, and that's why she had two boys, and she wasn't embarrassed. Now, the womb, the womb that Yosef was supposed to be by Leah, but Yosef ended up switching into the womb that was created for a girl, because it was a switch. So he was beautiful like a girl. Dina was a little like a boy. And that's why in last week's parsha it says that Yelech Dina, she went out. Jewish girls don't go out. They're home. So Rashi says, what do you mean they went out? What do you mean she went out? Because a man goes out and a woman stays home. Well, she had a little attributes of a man because she grew up in the womb of a boy. He grew up in the womb of a girl. So he came out being very beautiful. He was so beautiful. Yosef was so beautiful that it says that the Ashes Potifa, right, also in this week's parasha, was so in love with him that she couldn't eat. She was anorexic. That's where in the Torah it talks about anorexia. Two places, by Chana, who was depressed and she couldn't eat, 
and by, she couldn't eat. So her friends, the Medrash say, the friends asked her, what's going on? Why can't you eat? She says, there's a slave in my house that is so beautiful, and I can't get him. I am lovesick. I can't eat. And they said, where's he from? And she said, he's a Jew. The Medrash says. And they said, Jews are ugly. That's what the Mitzram said. The Jews are ugly. There's something wrong with you. She said, no problem. Come tomorrow, and I'm going to show him to you. And she invited these friends, and they put them in a circle, and they put Yosef in the middle, and they gave each one a knife and an esrig. Instead of oranges, they, didn't, they had a shoygen. It says when, when Yosef lifted his head, they were in such awe, it's a medrash, that they thought they were cutting the esrigim, they were cutting their fingers. So their fingers were bleeding, and the Aisha Potipa said, I'm sick? You're cutting your fingers and you don't even know it. Okay? That's how, that's how good looking. So I'm going to tell you some Rashi's you never heard before. So Potipha, Potipha bought Yosef for himself. Because Potipha was on the other side of the tracks. Okay? He was never really married. He was on the other side of the tracks. So he bought him for Mishkav Zachar. He bought him for himself. Why didn't he act on Yosef? Because the Pasuk says he saw Vayarki Ishelokim. Because he saw that Yosef was very holy. He's like, I'm not messing with him. But that's, that's, Rashi's, it's not me, it's, it's a Rashi, it's not even a Medrash. It's a Rashi. So, where did the brothers go look for this guy? They had a beautiful brother, they sold him to Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim was the village, it was the most immoral place in the world. So the Medrash says that they went to look in, in houses of ill repute, in the red light section of Mitzrayim. Where else is his brother going to be? He's going to be a Zaina. That's what the brother thought of their brother Yosef. We sold him to Mitzrayim, he's a Zaina. If that's who you think someone is, if that's your perception of someone is, you could be standing in front of that person and looking at them and not recognize them. Their perception of this kid is he's a Zaina. They're sitting in front of the number two king of the world. No way! So they're looking at his face. He looks exactly like Yaakov. But your perception is your reality. I have such a story. Not about myself. I don't know what people think of me. I don't even want to think what the people think of me. So I have a high school called BCA. Troubled girls. Girls who have gone through a lot of trauma, a lot of stuff. In, in ninth grade, in, in, in the first year, 10 years ago, that we opened up the high school. So all the girls that came to our high school were, at, were off the street. They were all kicked out of school. It's not like, oh, I'll switch from my school to your school. No, we don't have a September in my school. As you get kicked out, you come to my school. We get girls in December. We get them in January. We get them in February. We get them all year round. There's no September. It doesn't exist. They got to go to school to get kicked out of school to get to my school. This girl did amazing. And she went to Eretz Yisrael, and she flipped. And she became very from. And got married, wears a shaitel, snua, her husband is learning. Like, like the, the dream of my school. She's the dream of my school. Five years, no, six years after she was in my school, which is four years ago, I get a phone call one day. On a Friday, this girl is crying like a baby. 
whimpering. I'm like, what happened? I thought she had a fight with her husband. What happened? She says, I was in Glotmart in Brooklyn, shop Friday morning, shopping with her little baby in her carriage with her shade, the whole works. And the, the principal that threw me out was there. Could you imagine? The one that threw her out. This is a very special girl who doesn't have any bad feelings towards that principal. I was doing something really bad. They caught me. They threw me out. She always said, I'm not, I don't hold a grudge, but they should have let me back. They should have thrown me out for two weeks and take me back. They didn't take her back. I got her a year and a half later. She was on the street for a year and a half before I got her. So she said it wasn't fear that he didn't take her. Whatever. Fine. Now, closure. She's going to go to this principal and say, Baruch Hashem, look how I turned out. Happy. Not, not in your face. Not in your face. Happy. So I'm going to make up a name. She walks up to the principal and says, Hi, do you recognize me? And the principal says, no. And she says, we can't recognize everyone you ever had in your school. And she says, do you know my name? He says, no. She says, you know, my name is Malky Schwartzberg. Shaitel, dressed, snua, girl. This is, this is her moment. This is the moment you do all the work for. Because even though we do it for ourselves, we like when someone says like, wow. Look what you turned into, right? Like I, when I saw Rabbi Stern tonight, like, wow, you're proud of, you know, they want to hear that. They want to, they want to hear that you're proud of them. So my name is Malky Schwartzberg. He goes, no, you're not. She goes, no, my name is Malky Schwartzberg. She goes, you're Yehud, that's her older sister. Don't try to play games with me. She goes, I'm not Yehudis. I'm Malky. She says, no, you're not. Turns around and walks out. Destroyed her. How could you be Malki? I threw you out. You're in the street of Zainas. How could you be with a shape? No, I can't be wrong. I made a decision. I didn't accept you. You're not accepted. You're different. If, if I admit that you're who you are, then I made a mistake. But I don't make mistakes. So she was broken. And I said, you don't do it for him. You did it for Hashem and for you. And Hashem knows exactly what your name is. And he knows you're not hurt your sister. And you have to stop caring about when people make judgments. Because when they do, by they're trying to kill you. And you can't let them kill you. The only person that can let you, someone kill you is yourself. You have to have self. And Yosef HaTzadik looked at his brothers, and they looked at this beautiful Yaakov Avinu's face, and they didn't recognize him, and went through Gehenna. They had to go leave Shimon, then they had to go get Binyamin, and he put them through Gehenna. Listen to the Chidah. You have to repeat, this is amazing Chidah. Next week's Pasha Vayigash. So, he says to his brothers, he couldn't control himself anymore. After everyone heard him, he's the one who's crying. And he said, El to his brothers, Ani Yosef. I'm your brother, the one you didn't accept. After he put my father through all this, he sold me for 22 years, 
Is my father still alive? And his brothers could not answer him. Says the Chido, what's Nifhalumi Panov? Because they were in shock of his, what's Panov? His face. What does that mean? So the Chido says, when he said he was Yosef, they looked at him and said, Oh my God, how can we not recognize your face? You look exactly like our father. Nifhalumi Panov! They're like, we went through all this, we're looking at you all the time, and we didn't recognize you? No, you didn't. Because in your mind, you were looking for me in the, all the wrong places. Don't judge another Jew. Ever. Because the Mishnah says, Don't judge another person until you're in their place. And in physics, I don't know if there's any physics majors here, no two objects can be in the same space, can occupy the same space. No two objects can occupy the same space. And therefore what the mission is telling us is you can never judge another person. I can tell you a hundred stories like this, but I don't want to keep you here all night. The reason, this was not my share tonight. Totally not. I'm going to give you, I came here to give you a Hanukkah share. But when I get a phone call on my way here, Someone in this room needs to hear this. Someone in this room has to open their heart and accept someone else that they're not accepting. And stop judging other Jews. So you have no idea what that person's gone through, what that person's going through. You don't know what that's, what that, what, what a good word. Talk about a good word. What does it take to save the world? What does it take to save the world? Moshe Abenu? Moshe Abenu didn't save the world. He didn't save the world. He saved the Jews. Avram Avinu? He couldn't even save Sodom. Noach? Her world was destroyed. Adam? Couldn't even save Hevel. Who in the whole Torah, in the whole Tanakh, Save the world. Anyone know? Save the whole world. Yes. Didn't save the world. No. He wanted to save his brother. He didn't even save his brother. One person. Yosef. Hatzadik. Saved the world. How? There was going to be a hunger. The whole world was going to starve. Yosef said the seven years put away food for the seven bad years. The Torah tells us he saved the world. In fact, in the end, when his brothers came to him and said, are you going to take revenge? Are you going to take revenge? He said, take revenge. How, am I tachas alekim? Am I, am I under, am I, am I instead of Hashem? I, you didn't, you, you thought you did this to me. You didn't do the unbelievable. He was such an amazing person. After everything they did, they thought he's going to take revenge. So they came to him and they said, if you want us to be, you want us to be a servant, we'll be your servant. Just don't kill our children. Yosef said, what are you talking about? He says, Yosef. They fall on their face. We want to be for you a servant. What are you worried about? You think you, think you did something to me? 
you decided you wanted to do bad and sell me to Mitzrayim. Elikim chashav l'toiva. Hashem did this for the good. Why? Because I saved the whole world. The only person that saved the whole world was this little 17-year-old boy who cared about everyone. Now, what does it take to save the world? And I tell this to all my students. Think, you have to learn Shas. I don't know. I got to say Shir Hashirim 40 days in a row. I got to light 20 minutes before Shabbos. You're not going to believe what it takes to save the world. Yosef's in, Yosef's in jail. And Yosef sees these two Arabs, these two Egyptians. He has nothing to do with them, but he sees them. He looks at them, he says, oh my gosh, you guys are very anxious. So Afim is anxiety. Everything we have today is all in the Torah. So Afim is anxiety. But Yishal Sri Paro, and he asked these two, these two, right, the, 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 the two, um, ministers, why do you look depressed? You have anxiety and depression within two psukim. What's wrong with you guys? What's going on? Why do you look down? Ladies, that saved the world. Because the minute he asked them why you look down, they said, I had a dream, I don't know what the dream is. He translated the dream, then he translated for Paro. He saved the world not by learning, he saved the world not by davening, he saved the world because he asked, two goyim? What's up? What's wrong with you guys? Why do you look so bad? Save the world. Asking another person, why do you look so bad? Everyone thinks you have to be Robert Wallstein, you gotta be a big speaker, you gotta be bad. Just have to ask some person, like, why, 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 why do you look like that? What's going on with you? Save the whole world. Moshe Abedin couldn't do this, nobody did this. He just said, why do you look depressed? Wow. A guy, he didn't ask a Jew. He has two guys. What do you care why they look? You know why they look depressed? Because they're in an Egyptian dungeon. What do you care? You get your own problems. No one even knows where you are. You're never going to be saved. You're Yosef Atzadik in a dungeon. I know, but there's two guys here that don't look good. I got to ask him what's going on. Amazing. So I'm going to end with two stories. One beautiful story. Could be this, could be this boy once davened here, maybe when he came in from Eretz Yisrael. He's very close friends with, doesn't Rabbi Jelen, Rabbi Jelen, no, he doesn't know him, but he's very close friend, Jack Jelen, with all of them. I'm going to tell you a story about a boy named Harry Kariti. was in my class in Crown Heights Yeshiva, um, from a non-religious family. So, talk about a second look, really being able to look at a person. So he, um, he wasn't religious, he got kicked out of Crown Heights Yeshiva in sixth grade, um, was a real big troublemaker, never made it to my class, never made it to eighth grade, and was very angry at the school. His brother was in our school, very angry at the school for kicking him out. There was nothing I could do. I tried, but he did some crazy stuff in the English department, and they weren't listening to what it, there was no one to talk about. He was thrown out. He ended up in public school, and because uh, if you're not in Yeshiva, you're in public school. Went totally off the derech, became a Buddhist. I went to his older brother's wedding. Now, in the old days, when I was a religious rabbi in Kranach Yeshiva, when all these kids were not religious, so they had these bar mitzvahs, and they, they had, or, and they had, or weddings, and they had what's called the Havanagila dance. So all the rabbis, they put a mechitza up, 
and the, the Goyesh and non-Jewish band only knew how to play one Jewish song, that's all they knew. So the rabbis would, would dance with the boy, the Hava Nagila dance, which is two, three minutes, and then the dance is over, the Mechitzah comes down, and they're playing rock and roll, and the whole place is going crazy. So we always had a Hava Nagila dance. I came to this wedding, I was very close with Scott, his older brother, also not religious. I came to the wedding, and you can imagine nobody was really dressed much. And I sat down at the table, sat down on the table, and we're after the chuppah, we're waiting for the Havanagila dance. And I'm sitting at the table, and Howie, the guy that got kicked up, that ended up in public school, is sitting there with a girl on his lap. And I don't have to explain in a shul what they were doing in front of me. He was doing it just to hurt me. Just to hurt me. Tattoos of Buddha on his arms, like totally... So I looked at him and I was like, the fire in me was like, what are you doing? Like, come on, I'm, your, I'm a Rabbi Wollaston. What do you, what do you, what do you, what do you, you know, do this outside. What are you doing this in my face for? Like, what, what are you trying to prove? Right? Well, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. Anyway, I walked over to him and there's about to start, I'm like, Howie, you want to dance with Rebbe? So he asked the girl who's on his lap, do you mind if I get up and dance with the rabbi? And she made the biggest mistake she ever did in her life. She said, go ahead. So he gets up, and we're dancing, and I'm thinking, I gotta do something here. And I give him this big, fat kiss on his right cheek, and I'm like, Howie, girl, no girl, I don't care what you're doing. I love you, and I never would have thrown you out of school. And then I gave him a kiss on his other cheek. I said, but you're going to hell. (laughs) That's what I told him. Both sides. I didn't say Gehenna. I said it because I knew what he would understand. And he said, what's the problem, Rebbe? I'm like, Buddhist? Come on, it's Avodah Zarah. Muslim is really bad, but Buddhist is Avodah Zarah. He says, you don't understand anything about that religion. I'm like, why don't you come? I was giving Chabura every Tuesday night. I said, why don't you come to my Chabura and explain it to the, I want, explain it to me. Why would you bow that? Why would you believe in a little fat guy that couldn't lose two pounds? He had his belly out there all his whole life. He's the same size. I never saw a small Buddha. They all looked the same. I was making fun of which getting him very angry. And his the girlfriend was also a Buddhist. She was the one who brought him into Buddhism. Temple, the whole thing. They were like really into it. I said, Come to come to come to the Khabura and let's hear all about it. But don't bring her. He comes to Khabura and he gets up and he talks about it. I didn't know a lot about it. I studied all this stuff. I ripped him apart. And I said, now the deal is, next week you've got to hear what I have to say about our religion. It's fair. To make a long story short, Baruch Hashem, I got him. And I was going to Eretz Yisrael for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, and I said, just come, just come with me. I had to get him away from the girl. Just come with me for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. He ended up staying there. He ended up, I sent him to Eshat Torah. It was too brainy for him. He liked the Buddhism, is all this emotion and humming. They don't do that in Eshat Torah. They don't do humming, right? They're, 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 they're more logical and brainiac, and he needed like, so where did he go? Where did he end up, everybody? The Breslov wasn't happening yet at that time. I'm going way back. Lubavitch. He went to Lubavitch, and he became a Lubavitcher, and he stayed in Eretz Yisrael. And then one day, he calls me up, and he says, I want to get married. 
Now this guy's got tattoos from here till here, from here till here, on his neck, like, but under his shirt, whatever. And what happened in Lubavitch is that he never took off his sweater. Like the other guys never saw those boots. They're Buddhas. Like if, if you if you bend down to pick up a pen, you're serving a Vajazara. Because he's, I'm, I'm kidding, but whatever. But he's got, he's got all these tattoos. So he said, what girl is ever going to marry me? Look at me, look what I look like. I knew what he looked like. I'm like, there's a girl out there, maybe with tattoos. Then you get married, you'll have baby tattoos. I said, but there's a girl out there that will understand you. I said, but I don't think in America. Stay in Eretz Yisrael. Let's see if you can find someone that will understand you. Okay. He's there, he calls me up, he says his, his Rosh Hashiva just read him a girl from Kfar Chabad, a Lubavitcher girl, should he go out with her? I'm like, listen, the tattoos, are t- we can't get them off, they're too, much, they're too big. I'm like, go out with her, if she doesn't understand it, so it won't work. You're going you're gonna to find someone, she's that's going to accept you, you're going to see past that. Okay. He goes out with this girl five times, and it's happening. And he calls me up and he says, she doesn't know I have tattoos. I said, don't tell her till the fifth time because then she'll like you. And then maybe she'll look the other way. If you're going to tell her up front, by the way, I got booty here and booty here. No, it ain't happening. So let, let's go out five times and then we'll tell her and we'll see what happens. So he's like, well, he's like a little baby. He's like, well, I'm nervous. How do I tell her? When do I tell her? The beginning of the day, the middle of the day. How do I tell her? Do I show her that? I'm like, Hashem will help you. Whatever it is, Hashem will help you. Okay. Listen to this, who this girl is. So he goes out on this date. He calls me up afterwards. He's like crying. He's like, Rebbe, I love Hashem. I love you. I love everything. I'm like, okay, I guess we're getting engaged, aren't we? He says, you're not going to believe who she is. I'm like, tell me what happened, he says. So we're sitting in the car at the end of the date. I can't tell her during the date. I can't. I can't. I'm trying. I can't. And he says, there's something I need to tell you. She's thinking he's proposing. So you have a girl sitting there that's thinking, I, a guy saying, and he's Hasidish, right? He's Lubavish, that there's something I need to tell you. She's thinking, will you marry me? Not, I got tattoos. That's not what she's thinking. So she goes, you could tell me anything. He says, you know what? Telling you is not enough. I want to show it to you. So now she's thinking, here comes the ring, right? It's playing, it's, it's, it's making sense. She's gonna, she's gonna, he doesn't know how to say, he's a little funny socially. She doesn't say, will you marry me? She's gonna open a bar, right? So she's thinking like that. And he takes his jacket sleeve off. She doesn't know what he's doing at this point. And he pulls his shirt up. And he says, I have another one like that on my chest. And I have another one like that on my other arm. And I fully understand if you don't want to marry me. I mean, can you imagine such a moment? She thinks he's proposing, and now she's finding out the guy she's going with has Buddhas all over him. Snakes, cobras, Buddhas, you name it. She looks at Howie, and she says, I don't see anything. I only see the tattoo on your soul, and that tattoo is a yud of hey. If you want me to marry you, I will marry you. They're married... They have three kids. They live in B'nai Barak. Chassidah guy looks more religious than me. A girl was able to see past the first look. A person has that ability. She married him. She said, I don't see it. There's a very famous story with um, 
a guy in Osameach that had tattoos and um, he used to go to the mikveh very early in the morning so nobody would see him because in Eretz Yisrael, Chesidosh kids, Yerushalmis don't see tattoos. They don't even know what it is. So he figured if he, if he goes to the mikveh, they're going to all be pointing at him. He had them all over his, his shoulders, wherever it was, and he was very embarrassed. He used to go very early in the morning. One day, um, he came to the mikveh. It was, it was broken. It was closed. And now he had to go to the mikveh. He went to the mikveh every day. So now he had to go to the main mikveh in the middle of Mer Sha'arim, where everybody goes. It's a very famous story. And he, he gets undressed, and, he, and, and all the kids are pointing, like, what's that? They never saw anything like that. And I can't imagine what the tattoos were of. And he's walking down into the mikveh, and he's beyond embarrassed. He's, he's mamish, like, beyond himself. And this old, old man is walking up from the top of the mikveh. And he looks at this young boy from Or Sameach, and he says, points at his tattoos, he says, that's your hell, that's your Gehenim. Huh? Your tattoos, that's your Gehenim. And he says, you see this tattoo on my hand from Auschwitz? That's my Gehenim. But we're both out of our Gehenim, so don't worry about it. Second look. Just don't judge other people. Accept other people. One good word can save your life. So, I want to read you a story. I know that I lose people when I read. All the ADD people I'm going to lose because I'm, I'm reading a story, but I want you to hear this amazing... It's not about a Jew. It's not about a Jew. But it's about Yosef HaTzadik, what he did by asking someone. It's called My Friend Kyle, and I'm going to read it very, very fast. It's about a guy and another guy. One day when I was a freshman in high school, I saw a kid from my class walking home from school. His name was Kyle. It looked like he was carrying all of his books. I thought to myself, why would anyone bring home all his books on a Friday? He must really be a nerd. I had quite a weekend planned. Parties, football, this guy was a cool guy, not Kyle. So I shrugged my shoulders and I went on. As I was walking, I saw a bunch of other kids running towards him. They ran to him, knocking all his books out. They were, they were bullies. Knocking all his books out of his arms and tripping him so he landed in the dirt. His glasses went flying and I saw them land in the grass about 10 feet from him. He looked up and I saw this terrible sadness in his eyes. My heart went out to him, so I jogged over to him as he crawled around looking for his glasses. The bullies, they did to him. He's looking for his glasses on the floor. I saw a tear in his eye. I handed him his glasses. I said, those guys are jerks. They really should get lives. He looked at me and said, hey, thanks. There was a big smile on his face. It was one of those smiles that showed real gratitude. I helped him pick up his books and asked him where he lived. As it turned out, he lived right near me, so I asked why... Why have I never seen you before? He said he had gone to private school before. Now, I would have never hung out with a private school before. In other words, you have this cool guy, and you have this nerd. This nerd gets beat up by these kids. His glasses go flying. The cool guy stops, picks up the glasses. We talked all the way home, and I helped him carry his books. He turned out to be a pretty cool kid. I asked him if he wanted to play football on Saturday with me and my friends. He said yes. We hung out all weekend, and the more I got to know Kyle, the more I liked him, and my friends did as well. Monday morning came, and there was Kyle with a huge stack of books again. So for some reason, this kid was taking all his books on Friday, and then on Monday, he's bringing all his books back to school. I stopped him and said, you're really going to build some serious muscles with a pile of books every day. He just laughed and handed me half the books. Over the next four years, Kyle and I became best friends. When we were seniors, we began to think about college. Kyle decided to go to Georgetown, and I went to Duke. It's a true story. I knew that we would always be friends, and the miles would never be a problem. He was going to be a doctor, and I was going to be for, for a football scholarship. Kyle was valedictorian of our class. I teased him all the time about being a nerd. He had to prepare a speech for graduation. This is graduation of high school. 
I was glad that it wasn't me having to get up there and speak. Graduation day, I saw Kyle. He looked great. He was one of those guys that really found himself during high school. He filled out, actually looked good in glasses. He looked great. He had more dates than me. Sometimes I was almost jealous. Today was one of those days. I could see that he was nervous about his speech. So I smacked him on the back and said, hey, big guy, you'll be great. He looked at me with one of those looks, the really grateful one, and smiled, thanks. Okay, everyone that knows what's going on here? Good. Now comes the most important part. As he started his speech, so Kyle's now getting up valedictorian high school, this new friend that he made that took care of him. As he started his speech, he cleared his throat and began. Graduation is a time to thank those who helped you make it through those tough years. Your parents, your teachers, your siblings, maybe a coach, but mostly your friends. I am here to tell you all that being a friend to someone is the best gift you can give them. I agree. I'm going to tell you a story. I just looked at my friend with disbelief as he told the story of the first day we met, how he knocked his glasses off and how he had all the books. He had planned to kill himself over that weekend. He talked of how he had cleaned out his locker that Friday so that his mom wouldn't have to do it later after he killed himself and was carrying his stuff home. So he was going home to kill himself with all his books so his mother wouldn't have to come back to school and empty his locker. He looked hard at me and gave me a little smile. Thankfully, I was saved. My friend sitting there saved me from doing the unspeakable. I heard the gasp go through the crowd as this handsome, popular boy told us all about his weakest moment. I saw his mom and dad looking at me and smiling that same grateful smile. Not until that moment did I realize it's death. Just picking up the books of someone that was bullied saved his life. Just asking someone how you're doing saved the world. There's no one in this room that can't do that. On my way here, I drove through a part of Brooklyn that had many Christmas trees and many Christmas ornaments on the house. And we have a little menorah. They got all this stuff going on. Trees and lights and flashing lights. And, and we have this little teeny menorah with a little oil on the first day. If you don't look really hard in the window, you don't see it. Why? Why do they have so many lights and we have little teeny menorah? Say this over on Hanukkah. Because those lights that they have, they are what they are. But they can't give something else light. The menorah is fire, and it has to be fire. Light bulbs don't work. It has to be fire. Because the greatness of Hanukkah is being able to shear the light that HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought to the world. One little teeny candle can light a million candles and not lose any fire. The only thing in this world that is anti everything in physics is fire because it goes up even though there's gravity, number one. Number two, the theory of displacement means, in the theory of displacement, you can tell I like physics. In the, in the theory of displacement, if I have a whole cup of water and I pour half of it out to make another cup of water, have half a cup of water, I displaced half the cup. The only thing that there's no displacement in the world is fire. I can light a thousand fires and the original fire doesn't become less. 
So when you look at all the Christmas lights, that's all for them, but it doesn't, it's not for any, it's not, they can't share a light bulb. When you look at a little menorah, understand that that little flame can light up the world. And if you're worried that if you help others, well then I don't have time for myself and I'm going to lose money. No. By Jews, it's the Hanukkah light. You can help, there's no displacement. You lose nothing. So that's tonight's lesson. Tonight's lesson is acceptance. Tonight's lesson is to understand that everyone in this room, you don't have to be a speaker, you don't have to be a rabbi, you just have to be be able to look at a person and see the tattoo in their soul. Not how many earrings, not how they're dressed, not how they talk, nothing. It's all, it's all meaningless. It's what's going on inside that person, and you don't know what's going on inside that person. We all have that kayach. We all have a kayach of this girl that accepted my Talmud into her life and today have beautiful chassidish kids and, and a beautiful family that lives in B'nai Brak. Everyone has that kayach. So may everyone have the schus to have a richas yam and b'shanam together with your family and we should all be zaycheh to see the menorah in the Beis HaMikdash lit in our time. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.